Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. Every month, we get together and gush about our new favorite movie we saw in the last month. Every month, we pick a new favorite and sell it to each other. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends and been discussing film for 15 years. We love talking film, and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. This month, we're starting off a new season. This is the new 2019 movie season, our first month back since our top 10 episode. Um, we're going to be talking about the movies that came out in both February and March, um, going over our, our favorites that have come out. Uh, I'm here with Brandon Bulby. Hey, guys. Sean Bulby. That's me. And Derek Deal. Hello. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk to you guys about uh, the last couple months. It's been pretty slow, as New Year's usually are. We uh, passed the Academy Awards, and then things just kind of died down. That's why we took a little break there. And um, I know I still saw a few good movies. I'm pretty excited about it. But first, let's talk about the Academy Awards recap. Uh, Sean, I think you've got some fun facts for us about the Academy Awards. Uh, Yes, I do. Um, I just have uh, four fun little facts. I think most of them you guys already know or already suspected. Um, but yeah, little so tidbits. Yeah, just little tidbits. Sorry. Well, we all uh, know Green 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 Book won, so mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming yeah. you have other facts. Yeah, in addition I have to other those. facts. So, um, Black Panther is the first comic book superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. What do you guys Ooh. think about that? We talked a little Thumbs bit about it. Thumbs up to that. With the Dark Knight wasn't nominated for Best Picture? No, it wasn't. So that's that's the thing. The, the Dark Knight was is supposedly the movie that um, kind of influenced the Academy's decision to increase the uh, Best Picture uh, category to up to ten. Uh, because a lot of people are like, "What the hell? Dark Knight doesn't get nominated." So they expanded the category so that movies more like the Dark Knight that typically don't get acknowledged um, can be nominated. Yeah. Is it a wor- you, you think it's a worthy, worthy first best picture, or is it uh, maybe? No, I don't think it's worthy <laughs> at all for best mm. picture. I mean, it's cool that they're picking like unique genre films to put in their top ten best pictures for the Academy Awards. But as far as superhero movies go, I mean, Sean, you put Avengers mm-hmm. this year that came out in the summer yeah. on your top 10 and not Black Panther, let alone the dozens of other ones that I think deserve to be on here, like The Dark Knight, Spider-Man 1 and 2, um, you know, and even some other like Marvel films like Civil War and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, hell, even Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse would have been a I don't know. I feel like... Better. I feel like Black Panther, though, was culturally significant enough to be nominated mm-hmm. for Best Picture. And it yeah. certainly was better than some of the other movies that were nominated for Best Picture, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Um, looking at you, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Looking Vice. at you, the Best Picture winning green book. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not upset that it was nominated for Best Picture, although historically it might have been nice if the first Best Picture nominee was something else. Like... Right. Uh, Spider-Man into into the Spider-Verse. Oh man, definitely into the Spider-Verse. 
I know, but still, you guys are kind of missing, like, the context of it all. Like, an animated movie is already, like, hard enough for it to be Best Picture. For it being an yeah. animated and comic book movie to be nominated, that seems like a lot. X2 and Spider-Man 2 came out during a time where that wouldn't even been close. I agree mm-hmm. with The Dark Knight. Like, that... I think The Dark Knight's the best comic book movie ever made, so that makes sense to mm-hmm. me. But honestly, like, I don't think Black Panther is the best MCU movie, but it was, like, maybe the most, like, culturally relevant, like, uh, MCU movie. Like, that movie, like, yeah, yeah, picked up... Yeah, definitely agree with that. Yeah, it picked up a lot of attention other than just, like, comic book nerds. Mm-hmm. Fact number two, Sean. Yeah, number two. Um, so... Uh, the Incredibles 2 was the first uh, first time since Cars in 2007 that Pixar was n- nominated for Best Animated Feature and lost. Oh, wow. wow. To get a sense of the history of that, uh, Ratatouille, WALL-E, Up, Toy Story 3, Inside Out, and Coco were all nominated for best picture or I'm sorry, best animated feature and, and won. And this is the first time it lost. Wow. That's cool. There's others like, you know, the good dinosaur. Yeah. There were several good, the good dinosaur brave. There's, there's several movies that came out that were not nominated for best uh, monsters university feature, but yeah. And they also lost because they were not nominated. All right. Well, I'll move on to the third one. Um, so Alfonso Cuaron was the first to win the Best Cinematography Oscar for a film that he also directed. And by extension, he's also the first person to win both the Cinematography Awards and the Directing Award. Wow. For the Cinematography wow. Awards. That's awesome. Award. Yeah. So not only is he the first to win both, but he's also the first to win Best Cinematography and also just direct that movie. Which is extremely hard. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. getting nominated for Best Actor and being a director like Mel Gibson and Braveheart or something. Um, cinematographer yeah, which, and directing is hard to know, do together. Again, I don't I think I've mentioned this before, but like I don't know what they're doing because we the same thing happened with Paul Thomas Anderson last year with Phantom Thread. Well, he, he wasn't oh, yeah. he obviously wasn't um, he didn't win anything for that, but he directed and shot that movie. And it's just like the amount of work that that. That, that you have to put in to, to do both of those jobs is pretty incredible. It seems that only masterful directors are deciding to be cinematographers all of a sudden, which is very fortunate. Yeah, I guess so. Or, you know, it, it's also possible that they, that he kind of put um, a pretty big burden on some of like his gaffer or, um, you know, other people. But the fourth one, I'm pretty sure no one, none of you have, I, I didn't realize this, but this one I didn't realize, but this is the first time in history that three of the four acting categories were won by performances portraying LGBT roles. Hmm. Um, Remy Malik playing Freddie Mercury, Olivia Coleman playing Queen Anne, uh, Mer- and Mahershala Ali playing Don Shirley in, uh-huh. um, in Green Book. Oh. That's kind uh, and of also, a spoiler, actually. Oh, sorry. I guess that is kind of a, spoiler, a bit. Um, no, it's fine. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Wow, that's pretty surprising. But mm-hmm. it seems also kind of random. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it kind of does. Like because they're not really none of them are really movies where you, or I guess I guess Freddie Mercury is, but none of them. Yeah, are but really even 
Hinge Bohemian on. Rhapsody has been criticized for not leaning into that enough. Mm. Yeah. Whereas the other ones, like Brandon said, the favorite and green book kind of are both kind of, it's almost spoiler territory that that's who they yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're done with your facts. Yeah. I only had four facts. Uh, you skipped the fact that I gave you. Oh, what fact did you give me? I told you that, um, that green book, it was not, it won best picture and, and the director Peter Farley was not nominated for best uh, best director, and that's oh, that. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Um, I get, I think oh. the last time that happened was for Driving Miss Daisy. Hmm. Um, okay, that, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't know. That. I remember that whole conversation. I'm not the stat person, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's that's the stat. That's the 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 piece of trivia. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, that was the Academy Awards. Uh, the other thing that we had to talk about with the Academy Awards was that behind the scenes of this podcast, we had a little contest. Uh, we each we each guessed, you know, we filled out our ballots of who we thought was going to win, not who we wanted to win, but who we thought was going to win. And uh, we had a little little betting, you know, kind of thing where uh, whoever, whoever guessed the most, predicted the most, would uh, the other people would have to watch another movie of their choice. And I say another because um, clearly, clearly uh, Brandon Bowlby won that contest. Yes. So. Wow. Again. Third time in a row. So Brandon, how do you feel? How did you, how did you pick so, so accurately slash what movie do we have to watch? I mean, Sean accused me over text of just mm-hmm. like reading all these Academy list publications online that do all the predictions. They usually have like 22, 23, like out of the 24 accurate. I actually didn't read any of those at all. Um, but I think the one saving grace was that I actually went and saw all the Oscar shorts categories. So, and I got all four of those right. So, um, or all three of those right which was pretty helpful because usually I just get all of them wrong when I don't go Mm -hmm. see them. Yep. So the movie I'm going to force you guys to watch is a movie that I know Derek and Sean have not seen, but Nick, you have seen a long time ago. So sorry, but I think it's, I think it's still going to be a good pick. The movie is hunger by Steve McQueen, his first film. For me, it's in the like upper tier of best films this century. Like I'd maybe even put it in my top five of the last 19 years, you know, and sorry that you already saw it, Nick, but it's a short, breezy, like hour and a half, pretty brutal film, but it doesn't linger too long. And it's so stylized. And I think you guys all need to experience Steve McQueen's first movie. Um, Yeah, Yeah. totally. Awesome. Yeah. I saw that movie in Amsterdam. Yeah. It's been a long time for you. Um, It's been a long Mm -hmm. time for me too. I saw it maybe like six years ago. So I'd love to watch it again as well, along with you guys. I I like that pick actually. I'm really excited to watch that movie. Yeah. 
I'm not. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're making us oh, watch no. that movie again. <laughs> I was I'm so I was, excited. I was actively planning on never watching that movie again. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. It's cool. I mean, you're probably right. It probably deserves a rewatch. I, I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't Loveless, I guess. Like, if it was Loveless, I just would have opted <laughs> out, honestly. I wouldn't have watched it again. So, no, but I mean, honestly, they're like, I, I, I shouldn't say too much, but it's like they're both like, they're both pretty brutal movies. Just Heavy. I think Hunger has more to say than Loveless, but um, or at least has something I'd rather hear. Okay, so we're moving. <laughs> Moving on to the next segment, moving on um, to um, before we start our choices, we have a voicemail review, our first voicemail review from a listener. They sent in a video of uh, a movie that they watched over the last couple months, and uh, we're all going to watch it and uh, react to react to what movie he watched. So uh, this is from uh, Mr. Cow Shea from Seattle, Washington. So um Check it out. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Cal from Seattle. Uh, big fan of the show and excited to call in uh, because I feel like I have a unique opportunity to talk about a gigantic, huge, money-making blockbuster that's doing very well that no one knows about here in the States. Uh, I'm talking about The Wandering Earth, which is China's first gigantic sci-fi epic. The premise is basically that the sun is exploding, and so we are trying to fly the Earth out of our solar system. Uh, so it kind of has two halves of the movie. One half is this big uh, survival drama, kind of like uh, the day after tomorrow, of all the people who are still on Earth as we try and fly it out of the solar system. And the other half is kind of gravity-like uh, about the people on the space station that's kind of leading the way. Uh, so if it's playing near you, uh, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, it's, it's really fun, so... Hope you enjoy it. Hmm. Um, yeah. The Wandering Earth, though, guys. Uh, have any of you guys seen The Wandering Earth or heard about it? Oh, yeah. I have not, yeah. but I did have an opportunity to see it. A bunch of <clears throat> a bunch of friends went and saw it, and uh, I, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. And um, I not – based on their response, I'm not sure what they thought about it. <laughs> it was partly making fun of it, partly talking about how ridiculous it was, but maybe they also had fun with it. Right. As well. That sounds about right. Like, yeah. I feel like this is going to be the Transformers of Chinese blockbusters or the Armageddon Transformers. Mm -hmm. And this movie made $4.6 billion. Um, <laughs> Jesus. What? What? Yeah. Well, so last last year, I actually watched um, yeah. Operation Red Sea, which made $3.6 billion in China. And that movie scarred me. It's. It was probably the worst movie I saw in 2018. So not that all Chinese blockbusters are going to be the same, but I saw the trailer for The Wandering Earth, and it it's going to remind me of the same action chaos as uh, that scarred me in Operation Red Sea. Yeah. Yeah, and I know Cal compared it to Pacific Rim, and he's a huge Pacific Rim fan. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I'm pretty excited to watch it. I know. Uh, I think Derek. I think you told us that it's going to be on Netflix. Like Netflix picked it up. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I think. Okay. I think they're launching it really soon. Too. Yeah, I did just hear that. Yeah. So I mean, that'll be awesome. I'm. I'm excited to see it. I. 
I, I, I'm sure it'll be awesome. I mean, I'm sure it'll be over the top and crazy. Like right. every Chinese blockbuster I've seen is just like boss the wall nuts. I mean, I watched uh, um, Wolf Warrior 2 recently, and there's a scene in it where someone shoots a rocket launcher at him and he catches it with a net and then throws it at someone, like redirects it in midair and shoots it at a tank. So uh, pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be I don't want to say all Chinese blockbusters are like that, but, um, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty excited about Wandering Earth. So anyway, so let's uh, let's move on to to the new format of our show, being that we each have picked a movie and we're going to introduce the movie. And then the rest of us have some questions for for each person about said movie. So um, we're going to start it off. Uh, Derek, what's your what's your choice from the last couple months? I'm not your daughter. I don't know what I am. I do. You have the most advanced weapon ever. But that's just a shell. It's not bad or good. That part's up to you. Yeah, I chose Alita Battle Angel. Um, I saw it in AMC, uh, the the Dolby at whatever you know the Dolby Cinema. So it got like plus. It got like plus at least a whole star because uh, exactly. you saw it at the Dolby. Cinema. I was actually as describing someone the Dolby Cinema recently. I said. If you see a movie in Dolby Cinema and and somebody else saw it in a regular theater, you saw a better film than they did. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I just saw one in Dolby. Maybe it was was it Alita? And Derek, I was texting you about it. It's so freaking nice. It's twenty eight bucks, which is more <laughs> expensive than the IMAX theater there at the same Jeez. AMC. But it was, it was luxurious. Like the whole experience. Did you get to use your your uh, stubs? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. use a list. It was free, so I didn't pay for anything. But uh, so, Alita, you actually saw Alita there, didn't you? Is that how you yeah? Was that what I saw? I was yeah, I was texting you right yeah, when I got you're in. Yeah, freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So the s- synopsis on IMDb is: a deactivated female cyborg is revived, but cannot remember anything of her past life, and goes on a quest to find out who she is. So, uh, this movie was a passion project for James Cameron. He bought the rights to it, like, in the early 2000s or something. And um, he had written the script for it. I actually saw an interview where he said he had, like, a... Or it was with John Lando, his producer. He said he had, like, a 600-page script for the movie or something like that. And it had just sat on a shelf forever. And so, eventually, Robert Rodriguez... Uh, friends with James Cameron and he, they were talking about it and he saw it on the shelf and was like, James Cameron pretty much said, if you can get me a script for this movie, I'll give you the the money and you can just go make it. And so somehow Robert Rodriguez squeezed those 600 pages down into 120. And, um, and so he went and made this, this crazy anime movie mashup thingy. So, um, I picked it because I thought it was just really fun. It's not like an incredible movie by any means. It has, um, it's got a lot of issues, but primarily the action scenes in this movie were mind blowing. Like I, especially like, you know, there, every once in a while there's those movies that you just, you have to see in theaters. Cause well, actually more, more and more nowadays, I feel like, but it's just one of those movies that like the action is so 
big and fantastic. It's just for me, it was like it was just like a perfect movie to see at the time. And I, I don't know, all the action scenes I thought were super, super cool. Um, it's got a lot of like cyberpunk uh, imagery and uh, you know crazy rollerball sports stuff, and uh, and it's got some of that some of that flair that Robert Rodriguez brings to action action scenes. There's a couple moments in the movie that like I kind of had like that reminder, like that feeling of when you watch a good Robert Rodriguez movie, or you're like. Oh, this is a Robert Rodriguez thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of shined through every once in a while. But it is definitely, you know, his biggest movie budget-wise and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. I say it's a hit and miss, but it's definitely one that I really enjoyed overall. And I can totally understand why some people didn't. Um, but I would still recommend it to everyone, at least for, for nothing else but for the action scenes. So. Yeah, the action in this movie is definitely the standout like part. Robert Rodriguez mm. is so good at finding like little moments for his heroes to do that are just so intense and unique in like the action sequence, just making them so badass. I mean, there's that one scene everyone's talking about with her one arm, you know, handstand. Yeah. No spoilers though. Right. That is what Robert Rodriguez does is badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just makes what he's doing when he's doing what he does best. He's making just like cool movies. It's mm-hmm. like all of yeah. his, his big movies that he's known for. When it, like it's hard to really cr- critique him on like a really small detail level, like a lot of movies. But the one thing that's true about him is they're, they're just cool. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I know James Cameron was attached to this movie for a long time, um, I, I think as early as 2000, and he considered it a, a bit of a pr- passion project. And um, I was actually looking it up today, and he actually at some point said uh, he loved the project too much to give it to another director. Um, so he was he was really into this movie for a long time. Um, but does it how does it, I guess like, how does it compare to his other work and does it like fit into his filmography or is it, should it be viewed completely different, you know, as a completely different and independent work by a completely different director? Um, I mean, I think where it fits in with James Cameron is it's got that, uh, you know, the badass heroine, uh, that he's known for, like that's his shtick, you know, he always has the really badass. Um, doesn't take no shit, uh, you know, female heroine. So, I mean, that that part definitely sticks to it. I'm guessing that's probably what really drew him to the project. But other than that, honestly, I I feel like he, it feels like he was probably fairly hands-off on this movie. Hmm. And so it doesn't really necessarily, besides the technology, you know, it's got, oh, in 3D, I saw it in 3D, and the 3D was incredible. Uh, they did it really well, and so that the, on that that side you can kind of tell like his company was behind it and stuff, but not necessarily him. Well, he's busy, right, working on those uh, seventeen <laughs> Avatar sequels that may or may not ever come out. Exactly. So, so is this the Spy Kids version of a James Cameron film, or the Avatar version of a Robert Rodriguez film? 
the Spy Kids of James Cameron, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, too. I know exactly what you mean. It's very, and I think I think that's what a lot of, like, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, was is very YA. Like, it, it almost, like, tries at some points to tap into, like, I don't know, like the Twilight, like Hunger Games audience that's really looking for, like, the tween romance stuff. Um, but at the same time, there's parts of this movie that you can almost tell that they're holding back to keep a PG-13 rating. Like, <laughs> some of the fight scenes are nasty. Like, if they wanted to, you know, sh- like, it, it seems like it almost seemed like they were kind of holding back some of the, like, violence in the movie at the same time. So, it's like... They removed one drop of blood at a time to uh, to see where the censorship board would or where the MPAA would give them a PG-13 rating. Yeah, exactly. That's something that's so funny about Robert Rodriguez's career, though, guys. Like, like Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Sin City, also Spy Kids, yeah. and <laughs> Shark Boy and Shark Lava Girl. Boy, Lava uh-huh. Girl. <laughs> in 3D. Yeah. yeah. 40. And uh, shorts. Don't you remember 40? Spy Kids 4D, I think. Or oh, yeah. Yeah. Smell, like smell, smell vision. vision. Yeah. <laughs> like you had, you had scratch and sniff. You could smell stickers. the movie. But yeah, you could smell. No, I don't remember. <laughs> so from what I've heard, this film has great visuals, but it kind of lacks a compelling narrative and contains some troubling subtext. Did you pick up on these complaints? Uh, and is it still worth it for you? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, overall, the movie is definitely worth it. Um, I think it's just, it's narrative is just kind of a mess. Like I think probably what happened is that with animes specifically, they tell stories very differently than U S cinema and stuff like that. And they're, they're usually a lot more subtle about like, uh, character work and they're a lot more intricate with the world building stuff and i feel like they kind of they did that with this movie too and so a lot of the characters were just kind of bland they had the visual stuff that was cool they looked cool and like conceptually they were a cool character but they just didn't really dive too far into any of that and it was actually a fairly short it wasn't a short movie but it was like two hours i think so it wasn't one of those movies that um it didn't seem very interested in diving too far into these characters. And I didn't really see any troubling subtext. I know I've heard people talk about like, there's a scene where, um, she like gets her armor. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like a scene that some people sounds like we're viewing as like a sexual thing. I don't know if you know, Brandon, have you heard about that? But I don't, I didn't catch that at all, but yeah, I I didn't. I know look into yeah, I've heard I've heard I've heard a bunch of examples, but like I haven't seen the movie, so right. I don't really want to get too in depth on it. Just I I just have heard like some some people just have some sexual and some racial over undertones that right. you know they weren't explicit, but they were like if you read into the movie, it's kind of troubling. But well, um, do you have anything else to add about Alita? Okay. Well, cool. So that movie is Alita Battle Angel, and it might still be in some theaters, but look for it when it comes out on Blu-ray and streaming. 
Sean, what's your movie choice for the month? program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. I picked um, the documentary film Apollo 11, um, which came out this month in certain theaters. Um, I'm going to read the uh, synopsis here. Um, Apollo 11. It's, um, it's Apollo 11. It's, um, that's, that's the movie. It's, it's Apollo 11. It's about Apollo 11. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, the Apollo 11 mission is the famous moon landing mission. Um, when, uh, the Americans, uh, Buzz Aldrin, um, Neil Armstrong and, oh no, Michael Collins. Um, so basically it's the real, the real life version of first man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, this movie has pretty incredible visuals, um, really just lets the visuals and the audio, um, speak for itself. It uses all footage from the time captured at the time and it uses all the audio from like mission control and, um, news reports and um, kind of the news anchors narrating what was going on. It really kind of reminded me of um, of uh, uh, They Shall Not First Grow Man. Old that came out last year and First Man, a, a cross between First Man and They Shall Not Grow Old. Whereas it's just, it's just the footage from the time and it's just the audio. There's no interviews. Yeah, it's not really stylizing it in any particular way. It's, it's just kind of shows the mission as it unfolded. Um, and it had some super intense moments. Like, I mean, we all know what happened in the mission. It was a success, spoiler alert. But yeah, it was just like, there were a lot of really clever decisions for um, just keeping the movie very simple and um, letting it letting the mission speak for itself, I guess. So is there any new perspective or information being told in this story that everyone you know already knows and has seen a few times? Um, so I've never seen, really seen a, an Apollo 11 documentary. Um, they obviously used only footage that was shot at the time. And, and kind of to give you an idea of what the movie was, is it was actually, so a little bit of a history is they, they actually shot a ton of 65 millimeter film um, at uh, for the launch. And there's, um, I guess, hours and hours of, 65 millimeter film sitting at NASA um, for decades. And so that what they did is they actually, they got that footage and uh, the whole first half of the movie or most of the movie, or I guess throughout the movie, but especially the first half before the launch was all shot in 65 millimeter film. And I saw it in IMAX. So it looked incredible, Um, like almost not real. Um, like seeing that Saturn, like the Saturn V rocket and people standing under the Saturn V rocket really gave you uh, a much better idea or feeling of how massive this thing was. Literally unmatched in in size of rockets uh, in history, um, even to this day. And there's like even a shot where 
they're they're like going up a service elevator to to the top of the of the rocket and it kind of starts from the bottom and they're just like it's kind of an unbroken shot where they go i don't know 30 seconds to a minute it takes them to get from the bottom of the rocket to the top of the rocket and it's all like 65 millimeter film and it just it it's it kind of blows you away so as far as a new perspective it just it doesn't really do anything particularly new other than just letting that footage speak for itself. So uh, this movie was released as a special event for IMAX theaters. Uh, do you think it is, uh, was important to see on the big screen or is it still worthwhile to watch at home? Yeah, it's, um, it would definitely take away um, a bit of the experience. I'm sure on a 4k TV, that footage will still look really great. Um, but it was a, a pretty unique experience to watch it in IMAX. Um, and I'm sure there are other documentaries that give you better, um, better inform, better or more information about the Apollo mission, Apollo 11 mission and the history of it and what came before it and who these people were. Um, but it, it, I would guess that it still looks, and if you have a good at home system, it would probably still be worth it. I would say. Cool. Uh, was this all like unreleased footage completely? Like, why do you? No. Okay, so this is it's like been been running around, but someone decided to finally put it together. And, so the sixty-five millimeter um, film was all. Um, I, th- I don't think it had ever been released to the public because no one actually like, you know, up until modern times, like uh, actually digitizing that footage. Like there's not really it wasn't ever really a way to mm. get that 65 millimeter footage, um, you know, to the public, right. yeah, at least in that. I don't know if maybe parts of it were taken um, and, and put on. 35 millimeter or, or how they, they could have done it, but it was certainly never seen in, you know, as a large format, um, release. Right. Um, but uh, especially up in the command module, once they got into space, they obviously couldn't bring these 65 millimeter cameras, um, and put them on to the, um, put them into the command module or onto the lunar module. But Mm. so all that was 16 millimeter film um, and some TV cameras. But even all that, the way that was put together, it was really good. And the, um, the footage, you know, I'd never really, there was a lot of footage that I have. There's a lot of footage I've seen. I don't know if I've seen specifically the footage in that movie. Um, My guess is that most of that stuff has been seen before, but the way they put it together was really cool. And, I've never seen it all put together like that before. Right. Well, far out. Uh, that's Apollo 11. Uh, that's still in IMAX theaters. So um, Sean recommends that you and go see it in theaters if you can. If not, um, get a big TV and and watch it at home. Uh, it's a pretty authentic experience of, of the moon landing. So, uh, Brandon, what's your choice? You tell me to smash! If I save your life, not at all. Who are you? The name's Rex Danger Vest, galaxy defending archaeologist, cowboy, and raptor trainer. <laughs> I don't get it. 
All right, so my pick for the month is The Lego Movie 2, the second part. A little synopsis is, it's been five years since everything was awesome, and the citizens are facing a huge new threat. Lego Duplo invades from outer space, wrecking everything faster than they can rebuild. So um, this is the new Lego movie film, uh, the follow-up to the first one, which was actually in my top 10 for that year when it came out. I loved the first one so much. I thought it was one of the best comedies to come out this decade. So unique, so special. Anyways, the little bit of a difference is this one has a different director. Um, And uh, the guy, Mike Mitchell, you know, some of his background is very interesting. He did some famous animated movies such as Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, Trolls, Shrek (laughs) Forever, Mm -hmm. and also in the 90s, Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo. So it's a really weird directing choice to follow up from Lord Miller. But the good news is that Lord Miller still wrote this film just like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And um, it is still so funny, so witty, so intelligent. Even through their writing, um, they come across in this film like as being super present. Anyways, so I really like this movie. As a sequel, it kind of does everything right. It takes the concepts and humor established in the first film and just like really builds on it. There's not a ton new here, but they're just trying to like perfect, I guess, what they did in the first. And especially in the like real world aspect that comes at the end of the first film, what they do with that and how far they take it in this movie is really fascinating and interesting. Um, I saw this movie at like 10 p.m. on a weekday by myself so it probably wasn't the best for the humor like I wasn't laughing too much but um yeah I wasn't laughing too much like I was in the first one um so maybe it's not as strong in that department as it could have been but overall it's still really creative really great and hilarious yeah I mean uh I I think it's safe to say that the Lego movie one was um like a favorite amongst a lot of people um I think one thing that I loved about the original was how surprising it was. Like even after it had been hyped up for me, like I didn't see in theaters. So even after it had been hyped up, it still was so shocking how like just good and hilarious and insightful and creative it was. Um, Like the ending was like, you know, crazy too. And then, I mean, since then the, we've had a couple other Lego movies, like the Lego Batman movie also was like pretty surprising like some people say that's one of the best batman movies um so you know now it's been a few years we've had other lego movies does the sequel offer that same sense of surprise or anything close to that so you're kind of right it it does lose a little bit being just a sequel and using a lot of the same techniques as the first um and also like into the spider-verse I mean, that movie's incredible just because how shocking and surprising and interesting the like visuals were for that film, how bold the story was. And I bet even if the sequel to the Spider-Verse is amazing, it probably is no way it's going to live up to, you know, how we feel about that first one. And I think it's the same case with the Lego movie. Um, even though they try a lot of really cool, interesting things, I think... Uh, I think uh, the first one still, you know, is the standout because it, it got there first. 
how was how were Lord and Miller missed? Like, was the spark of Lord and Miller um, missed in this movie, or did it? Did they these new directors kind of? Um, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting how good Lord and Miller at at writing, but still like having some creative oh, yeah. control over the film, just like with Spider Man and the Spider Verse. Like, honestly, if just like a TV series, um, Lord and Miller directing the pilot and then all the rest still have look and feel the same after that. This one's the same way. If I didn't know Lord and Miller didn't mm-hmm. direct it, I could easily have believed that they did because um, this guy, Mike Mitchell, you know, held on to so many of the techniques that Lord and Miller established in the in the first one. I feel like, I mean, you've kind of, kind of answered this, I guess, but like uh, d- did... For both Lego Movie and Spider-Man, what really like stand out to me is that these, both of these movies specifically, and I can't think of many other ones. Like they feel like they, they exist on like another tier of like their quality because of how far they go with something. Like with Lego Movie One, like that ending. I mean, are we allowed to spoil stuff? Right? It's not for Lego it doesn't One. Doesn't matter. Lego movie one came out so many years ago, but like the concept of, of what that movie was, which is essentially a Lego movie commercial. Right. But that also becomes like this, this like really rewarding story. (laughs) And like, you know, the live act, it's like, you know, it's just like this weird, thing that like no other movie really does and i feel like spider-man kind of did a similar thing which is diving so hard into like this deep heavy sci-fi realm while still keeping it like this grounded like movie that they didn't even advertise like that it was really a sci-fi type thing so i'm just curious like that aspect of their writing their ability to bring their movies into that area like did they were they able to bring that to this still or did it so, so the ending of the first one, like you're talking about, they take that concept and push it a lot further as a good sequel yeah. should. And they do that oh. throughout the second movie. Yeah. And it's really cool where they go with the real world and uh, how far they take it. But just like Lord and Miller are so good at, they they know they need something else on top of that. And they kind of pull it back from the real world and instead of like in the first one putting the twist in the real world, this one puts a major twist in the animation mm. world. Mm. And it's kind of like mm. a meta commentary on twists that uh, is hilarious and also just like absolutely blew my mind when it happened. So they kind of mm. do make it, they kind of do make mm. up for it. Color right me intrigued. What the fuck <laughs> just happened? With that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely see it. Um, yeah, I mean, just that last bit got me kind of excited. So uh, uh, <laughs> it better deliver, Brandon. <laughs> All right, no promises. Okay, my pick for the last couple months is Happy Death Day to You, the sequel to Happy Death Day. I thought it ended the loop, but I'm back. Oh my god. Everything's different. This time, it's coming after all of us. 
If you don't reset the day and try again, they're dead for good, aren't they? So I'm gonna have to die over and over again to save all of you. I mean, I guess you could just reset the day yourself. So Happy Death Day was uh, it was the movie that was basically Groundhog's Day for uh, a horror movie, like a horror movie of Groundhog's Day. Uh, the, the first one was really fun. Um, I remember seeing it and enjoying it like quite a bit. But I remember driving home and my brother being like, so what was your favorite way that she died? And I was like, huh, well, I don't really I don't really have a favorite. I don't really don't really remember uh, too many. Like it wasn't the the violence wasn't that memorable. But as it's it's been a couple of years now, the I've I've it's kind of gone up in my memory. Like I just I think back to that movie and I think about how I really, really did enjoy it a lot. So um, when the the sequel came out, I mean, I was on board right away when I saw the trailer. And so I was I was really excited about this movie. And then uh, the first it, it starts out just like that, like it starts out with this sort of creative energy that that uh, was totally shocking and surprising. Like I had this sort of manic thing about it where like I had no idea where this movie was going. Like for the first like half hour, I was like, this could go anywhere. And that was so much fun. Like I was just on the edge of my seat, just enthralled with what was this movie going to do? And it's different from the first one. Um, but it's also the same. Like it kind of goes back into the groove of, you know, her dying over and over again. Like it, it, it gets into that groove just like the first one, but it also, uh, whereas the, the first one might be more of a uh, horror film, uh, the second one kind of takes more of a sci-fi approach. Like this one, um, this one's more like the Pack of the Future Part 2, but about her dying instead of instead of it being about time travel, it's, it just takes more of a sci-fi approach to the whole thing. And yeah, it has like pretend science and yeah, it has plot holes and yeah, it's like over the top, top and ridiculous, but it's not like the kind of movie that you should watch and look for those types of things. Like if you're that kind of person that watches movies and, you know, gets hung up on logical inconsistencies, like, I'm sorry, but this movie isn't going to be for you. Like it's, it's just, it's just a, fun ride with creative ideas. And, um, I don't know. It's also like a really great sequel because it takes it. It builds on itself. It, it remembers the first movie, but and it stays true to the first movie, but it, it goes, goes on top of it. And, uh, yeah, no, I was just, I was just psyched about this movie. Um, also I want to call it Jessica Roth again. Um, because she is, she's a young actress and she's like, she carries this movie and at parts she gets surprisingly emotional. Like she, I don't know. I, I feel like if she plays her cards right, she's going to be a big deal. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm just happy death day to you. I, I'm, I'm psyched about this movie. Nick's calling it now. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> it's cool. Like the, fr- when the I remember the first trailer came out for this movie just like god damn it like this is this is the this is the concept like why has this not been done before this movie you could there's so many things you can do with it and yeah we saw it together i think the first one we did and And, uh yeah and uh yeah i loved it too and so finding out that there's a sequel was really exciting because i 
while I like the first one, I feel like this concept is it has there's so much you can do with it. And so it kind of like that the trailer really feel like it was such a surprise when this trailer popped on. I think it popped on during glass or something. And um, yeah, it was so exciting just to see like, oh, yes. OK, they're, they're just jumping right back into where they left off and they're just going <laughs> to keep going with this concept. And uh, so that's just really exciting to hear. <laughs> and I'm glad you liked it a lot. Um, I know you kind of said this is kind of what I was hoping they would do, too, is that it's, so it doesn't quite. I don't even know if I'd consider the first one really a horror. It is a slasher for sure, but it's not, they don't really play into like the scariness of it too much. Right. And so I'm curious, like I know you said this one kind of dives into the sci-fi arena a little bit more. Does it actually try to be a horror at all? Or is it still more like a slashy sci-fi kind of fun romp thing? I mean, I would say it's a horror comedy. You know, it's, it's straight up. Like it's, it's hilarious. Like to me, I was laughing so much more than I was ever suspensed. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, I think it also leans into the comedy a lot more than the first one. And yeah, it has a lot more elements of sci-fi than the first one, but still is, you know, that sort of thing where if, if you're going to have violence, if you're going to have like someone being killed, if it's going to be a slasher, it's, it's a horror movie, right. but it, it, you know, it's, it's definitely more of a comedy. It's definitely a horror comedy. Um, and I think, I think they play to play to that really well. Like it's, it's, um, it's very self-aware too. Like, I mean, the first one did it as well. Like the first one was like, oh, it's like Groundhog Day, except you're dying all the time. And they I, they do the same thing in the second one where it's, they say, it, oh, so it's like Back to the Future Part 2. And she's like, what? I haven't seen that movie, you know. But um, but also like other things like there's there's a scene where um, so in the in the movie, she uh, she's being killed by a person wearing a fat baby mask. And because that's the mascot at their school. So there's, there's people wearing fat baby masks all the time. And <laughs> there's a scene where one of the characters goes, why is the mascot at our school a fat baby? <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, that's a great point because it's a weird ass mascot. And no one, you know, it's just, it's self-aware. It knows what it's, it knows that it's like a ridiculous, silly concept. Um, so one of my least favorite parts about the first film was that they didn't really put any effort into making it actually scary. Um, does this one go further down the campy side of things or, you know, does it take itself a bit more seriously and actually be creative with the deaths? Um, it definitely has some creative deaths The I would say the deaths are more creative, but they're, they're, they're funnier. You know, it's, um, I think I think the series gets creative in different directions, honestly, like it's it's this I'm hoping that there's going to be more of these like it. It does what good sequels do where it it builds out on itself. So like the care, like they they acknowledge what happens in the first one and they even question like she she questions her character arc from the first movie because it's it's like. Hey, if I had to go through all that and that didn't matter, what does anything matter there? And there's still there's still cards left on the table. Like there were there were threads that weren't 
put together. And I think that they still with a new movie could also find new and creative ways to go into new genres or or different different areas to make uh, to, to keep building it out. I don't know. I left thinking I hope that they do a third one or a fourth one or or make this like a whole Fast and Furious thing where there's just a bunch hmm. of these. Did it I just, feel I don't know. Did it feel like they planted any of that stuff? Like, cause the first one, I didn't think it didn't feel like it at all. So that, like, when the trailer dropped for this, it was a complete surprise. I never thought they'd make a sequel. Right, right. I would say that the, the that there is there is context where they could pull from and go into new directions. Absolutely, absolutely, they can make a new one if they want to. So it sounds like you really liked it. Did you actually like this one better than the first one? I did. I actually really did like this one more. I mean, I'm excited to watch. I think I really need to rewatch the first one with more of a, okay, this is a horror comedy, like Mm -hmm. whatever kind of um, perspective, because I know a lot of people like say that they like the first one more, but um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a a series for me that gets better over time. Mm -hmm. Like I, I could just see myself in a few years rewatching the trilogy and being psyched about psyched about it even more so than I am now. So um, I liked the second one more because I liked how they built up, built up off of it. But um, yeah. Uh, and again, I want to like emphasize too that like, you know, if this is a movie that like, if this is, if you're the kind of person that um, really needs to pick apart things, like, I really don't think this this series is going to be for you. Brandon, I'm looking at you, man. Like, I just I kind of hey, want you to hey, just hey. skip it because I don't I don't think you're going to like it that much. Nick doesn't but, even want to hear it, Brandon. Yeah, I don't want to hear about it. Like, I just like <laughs> it's like it's like you with like, it's like me with Loveless for you. Or, you know, it's like I don't I don't want to watch Paddington. it like. Yeah, like I don't want to watch it. Like I don't really care. It's not my thing, you know. And I'd really just like this movie is just like it's it's ridiculous. Like it's it, but it knows what it is and it's nailing it, you know. Like it, it it's like it's speaking to me. Like something about that this movie is speaking to me. It's like like I'm sorry, but like cow who we had the voicemail review for earlier, like he's the kind of person who needs to watch this movie. Like I I told him this in real life too. Like. You know, uh, I don't think this movie is for everybody, but if you're the kind of person that likes these big concept sci-fi movies and and horror comedies like, you know, like like I do, then this movie is for you. Nice. Yeah, this this actually got me excited for all three of these movies. Um, yeah, so that's that's Happy Death Day to you. I don't think it's in theaters anymore, and uh, I don't think it made that much money. So I don't know if there'll be a new one, but it was Blumhouse. So you know, probably cost making, two million dollars, right? And making any money is enough for them to make a sequel for it. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, yeah. I think that wraps up our episode. So yeah, um, yeah. I so, like it. Um, I like new the new format. format. Yeah. So we got these four movies. So, um, oh, there's you know, baby Phoenix. Perfect timing. <laughs> He's trying to break down the door into this room. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, like us and subscribe on YouTube and podcasting apps all around. And, uh, really, thank you so much for listening. Bye bye. 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 Hi, Phoenix. Everything is awesome.